let's turn to Colossians chapter 3 now as we continue in our study. And we are in the midst of this description that Paul is giving us and this command of putting off, off with the old, on with the new. And we've already seen, we'll go back through that list in a minute, a, thin, a list of negative things that Paul says, put off. And now he's going to give us quite an extensive list of things to put on. And that reminder, why would he ask us to do this? Well, we're, we're citizens of a different kingdom. We're citizens of the beloved son. And so we shouldn't be acting like citizens of the worldly kingdom any longer. That's not appropriate. And again, that's the basis. But let's, the, 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 let's not forget the overarching theme of Colossians, even more important. We'll go back to Colossians chapter 1. And remember this magnificent description of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and him and all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's the whole focus of that verse. He is preeminent. He is above all. He is of most importance. And in him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ have been reconciled with God. And you, verse 21, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, doing the things of the world... He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And that theme continues to work itself out in Colossians chapter 3 tonight as he give us, gives us much more of the direct specifics of what that looks like to be holy and blameless. And for the children of God, folks, this is, these aren't suggestions, this list we're going through tonight. They are things that must be in our lives in some way or manner, and we should be growing in them. And it's possible to grow in these things in this list that we're going to see tonight, because Jesus is preeminent and all-powerful and has all authority, so he has the ability to expect us to grow, and he gives us the power that enables us to grow and literally be clothed in righteous virtues as God's chosen ones. So as we make him our focus, we had that this morning, the focus of the lamb that was slain. He was slain so that we wouldn't have to be held captive to sin and wear the world's stinky, dirty clothes anymore. But that we can put on the clothing of the kingdom of the beloved son and he's going to tell us more about what that looks like in this passage. So let's, uh, we're not going to, we're, we're going to make our way through this part of the passage tonight and next week, verses 12 through 17. He's told us what to put off. Now he gives us a list of what to put on. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. By the way, this is chapter 3, verse 12. Verse 13 now. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Father, as we see these specifics of these virtues, these the spiritual fruit that should be a part of every believer's life in some form or fashion, let us be convicted and let us be motivated to see these things grow in our lives in a more fuller fruit as we look to the preeminent one, the firstborn above all, a lamb that is worthy of all the praise and depend upon him and seek after him um, for the ability uh, to, to serve him and honor him with our lives. All this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to see the clothing of God's chosen ones. Um, and one of the things that we struggle with in this life is becoming complacent in different areas of our spiritual growth. And so lists like what Paul has given us here, remember we had uh, a number of lists in Titus. They're not religious lists. Things that, you know, if you just, if you just somehow learn to be a better person and a really good person, well, you can build up these things in your own life, and you can please God all by yourself. That's not at all. These aren't religious lists. These are lists that we can have in our lives, fruit through a relationship, not a religion. And certainly this list is uh, the same. But we, we tend to get complacent in our spiritual growth. We tend to look at our lives and say, you know, I've achieved this level. Maybe I've got this level of leadership and God's used me in these ways, and I'm pretty happy with where I am, and I'm pretty comfortable, actually, the level where I'm at, and so I'd be okay just to kind of coast throughout the rest of life, and Jesus will return one day, and that'll be good, and I've got a good reputation, so that's good enough. But folks, the point is we should never be comfortable or satisfied where we're at in spiritual growth. These lists are for us always to measure ourselves and say, how am I doing in this area? And by the way, as we look at this list, none of us should be checking it off saying, I've got this perfect, 100%. I, I can teach others because I've got this down uh, fully in my life. These are all areas that we can, and we need to ask Jesus to continue to help us to grow in, in this clothing. And remember, at the beginning of verse 12, we are God's chosen ones. I emphasized this last week. There it emphasizes God's election, His sovereign choosing of us. He chose us to be His own. And again, 
that's an important doctrine that's emphasized in the scripture. And if he's chosen us, then of course we have the power and the ability to be able to change in these areas. We're holy. Not holy, holy, holy as God is holy, but in a lesser way we can still reflect that holiness. And one day we will be with him in that glorious throne room praising him in the heavenlies and the new earth, heaven and the new earth and praising the Lord. Right now we are holy, set apart. Set apart as God's people. And we're beloved. He has chosen to show his love on us. And that love is so important because it is the, um, the main, most important element throughout all of this. Because of God's love, His sacrificial love that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So that we can be cleansed of our sins because of His love. We can show His love as His people in all of these ways that He's giving us here in this list. So, Here's the clothing of God's chosen ones in verse 12, and it begins with compassionate hearts. We must clothe ourselves in the loving virtues of God, and we must put on compassion and forgiveness. And Paul had just cited a list of vices that the believer must put off from their lives. In fact, let's just look at that again, because these will be the exact opposite of what he gave us in that list. He says... um, Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then in verse 8, put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, and all of that. The opposite of anger and hatred towards others is kindness, is compassion, is meekness, is forbearance and patience with each other. And so here's a list of things that can be seen in our lives. And we can exhibit these things supernaturally through the power of God. And we must make an effort to practice these virtues. Rely on Christ, Lord, through your strength and through dependence on you. I know that I can be do better in these areas. And that you can give me victory to be all of these things. Let's look at the list. Compassionate hearts. Here's the clothing of God's chosen ones. As the King James puts it, bowels of mercy. That's just a great term, right? It sounds a little strange, actually, put like that. But that's actually uh, very accurate and reflective of what the Greek means there, even though it sounds strange. Uh, Let's first of all address the word compassionate. That relates to the mercy and compassion of God himself. And so that kind of compassion can be a part of our lives, and we can show that type of mercy and compassion, or some form of that, to others. Then it also has uh, the word hearts as well, and that Greek word is that great Greek word splachnon. just love to say that. It's a strange word. Splash not. Well, what does that refer to? Well, it refers to the, the bowels. It's the inner belly, basically. Uh, really, the spleen or the intestinal area. And, you know, today we have our own terminology. It's a little cleaned up, right? We talk about how much we love someone from the heart. And that works a whole lot better on Valentine's Day, which is coming up in just a couple of days. 
You know, you don't see very many Valentine's Day cards that say, I love you from the bottom of my intestines. <laughs> that, that just wouldn't work. Or, I don't know, maybe in today's mixed up society, maybe people would buy that, I don't know. But really, in the New Testament, in the Greek, um, th that was a, the way to express deep emotion. It really, if you think about it, where do we really experience our emotion? Whether we're upset or angry, you know, if you're feeling it in your heart, folks, that's a medical condition that you need to get checked pretty quickly, right? <laughs> Most of the time, we feel it in our belly. It's actually much more accurate. I think my boys, I, I loved uh, the Peanuts comic strips coming up with Char growing up with Charlie Brown and my boys read those today. Where did Charlie Brown always feel the pain when he was bothered about something? He said, oh, my stomach doesn't feel good. And it's that picture then of that emotion coming from our, the, our inward being where we literally feel emotion. So you put those two together. Compassionate hearts then is a moving concern and tender-hearted mercy for others that reflects God's compassion for us. As we remember God's mercies and His compassion on us, the more we think about all that He has done and all that Christ has done as we reflected on that. Folks, when we hear of others going through difficult situations, we ought to be moved. It ought, it ought to cause us uh, many times emotion when we hear of other folks going through things or someone that needs the gospel and has rejected. That compassion that God has for mankind that He was willing to send His Son to die on the cross, that ought to be a part of our emotional makeup too. We ought to be wearing a compassionate heart or stomach. You know, when I think of a, one of Christ's parables that really reflects this is the parable of a good Samaritan. I can pick a lot, but two religious men that saw this poor beaten man beaten by criminals, thieves, left for dead on the side of the road, and all they could think of was, Bill, that's really gross. Just looking at it like the man was roadkill or something. But that Samaritan went by. He was moved with compassion, and he was willing to do what he had to do to get his hands bloody and dirty and help that man. That's a compassionate heart. That's true mercy and compassion for someone else. You know, when we truly reflect on God's mercy towards us, what does that do? It literally tenderizes our hearts, or it should, for the struggles of others. Having a compassionate heart is an important attribute that should be a part of a Christian's life and must be. Well, that's just the first one. Second one, second virtue listed is kindness. That describes the acting out on our compassion. It's one thing to have a compassionate heart, but what are you going to do about that? How are you going to act out on that? And kindness is the acts of our compassion. It works itself out as benevolent acts. And again, we show the kindness toward others that God has graciously shown to us. Make a list if you're struggling with kindness of all the things that God has done for you, even in the past week, and the things that He has provided for you, and the things that He's kept you from. 
His kindness extends to the things that He doesn't allow us to do. The sin that He keeps us from. That's the ultimate kindness. And you make that list of all the kind things, the benevolent acts that God has allowed in your life, and that should motivate you to want to be His tool. Oh Lord, use me as an act of kindness, as one of your tools for someone else this week. Let me reflect kindness. You know, there's so very little kindness even in our world today. People always grumping about something. My dad had so many stories. He worked in a lot of different uh, situations throughout his life, and one of those was the complaint department desk at Home Depot. Mm. Talk about a job with no thanks. And I've told you about that before, but he would talk about just people were just mean and nasty had very little kindness and when one came up that actually had a nice word or a thank you it was so rare that it really made an impact on him in our world today we can make such an impact on others and just showing a little bit of sympathy and compassion or doing something nice for someone else just looking for opportunities to do that helping not just little old ladies across the street but whatever God gives you to do that just shows hey I care I notice you and I want to help you. What a testimony for Christ we can be if we just have compassion in our hearts and kindness. But we're still not to the end of the list yet. We're not even in the middle yet. The third virtue listed is humility. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. This attitude reflects the exact opposite of another attitude that Paul's been fighting. These false teachers. Remember this false, strange, false religious practices where they were trying to um, get people to selfishly pursue their own spiritual experiences through the um, advice of these teachers. And these teachers were trying to pridefully, arrogantly um, exalt themselves as... uh, a doorway to spiritual experiences apart from Christ, much arrogance. And certainly, Paul would have had that in mind as he says, you don't be like that. You don't be trying to get all the attention and um, make yourself so important in others' lives, but you have humility. The exact opposite of pridefully promoting yourself, but you depend upon Christ. And I... I can't help myself on this because where do we find one of the ultimate pictures of humility in the scriptures? Jesus Christ. Turn to uh, to Philippians chapter 2 real quick. You know this passage. Whenever you hear the word humility, this is probably one of the passages that we think of we should. The wonderful testimony of Christ. His humility. Philippians 2 starting at verse 5. If you want a description of humility, here's the mindset. Here's Jesus himself. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, which means equates himself with God, he's deity, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't grasp. He didn't hang on to the riches and the worship of heaven, but he was willing, emptied himself, He was willing to leave all that behind and take on the form of a servant. He was still God. He took on 
the body of a man as well. And being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. There is no greater definition of humility, folks, than that phrase. That the God of heaven would be willing to be condemned and tortured as a criminal for the sins of the world. So often we get arrogant and we want to promote ourselves and we think of ourselves so much more importantly than we should and we forget this picture. And it's why, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. He is worthy of all worship. And we saw that this morning, so I won't continue to read there, but you know those verses well. That is a picture of humility. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. So His people, His chosen ones, can have this humility in their lives as well. It's a lack of selfishness that makes one's own concerns insignificant in order to serve God and others. God, I see there's an opportunity to serve, and it's obvious you're calling me to do that. And I'm not going to let my own agenda, my own self-importance, like, that's beneath me. I don't have time for that. No. We don't let our own self-importance get in the way of submitting to God and being used to serve Him and others. And that's humility. It's a lack of selfishness. Selfishness and humility don't go together. It's either one or the other. We should choose humility. Well, the next virtue in this virtue in this list is meekness. And out of all the virtues that we seek in our lives to grow, usually meekness is one of those that we just don't we're not real interested in. It doesn't even sound very exciting. Meekness. Who wants to be meek? And yet even as that doesn't sound very appealing to us. Remember, some of the greatest characters in God's Word were described that way. Moses was described that way. Jesus Christ described himself as the ultimate meek person. Jesus claimed that for himself in Matthew 11. I'll just read it to you. Verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, that's that word meek, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, sometimes we don't like to think of this virtue or not that interesting because we misunderstand what it is. Really, you could describe meekness as strength under control. God has given us all abilities and strengths, and that tends to, in our own Carnality make us think we're really important because I can do this and I have this ability and this talent and whatever. So notice me, notice me. And meekness says, thank you, Lord, for giving me these strengths. And now I submit them to you. I humble myself before you and I submit to your control over my strengths to do what you want done with them. It's really a gen- It also could, could be described as gentleness because it is a gentleness of disposition. It doesn't exalt, again, one's own self-importance. It doesn't strive to let everybody know how great I am or how much I've done in ministry and all these things. It puts all that aside. 
and it submits one's strength to be tamed by the spirit. As a mighty horse is tamed by that little bit, you could refer to that as meekness. We need to have this example in our lives as well. It's an important virtue, and it keeps us from arrogance and demanding our own way. Well, the final virtue in this list, in this verse, is patience. And really, if you think about all the other virtues that were listed, this is the outgrowth of all of those other virtues. As it endures and it forbears others. I remember the exact opposite of this one time. I was... Uh, I viewed one time a very um, awkward, difficult situation. I, um, for a time I was a teacher in a public school and I knew of a situation where a teacher had to give a student uh, a bad grade because of something you know, the student had done their best and the student had also been belligerent so the teacher had to deal with that. Unfortunately, the parents weren't very happy with that teacher because of that. They didn't think that their son or their daughter deserved that. So I observed literally this this parent somehow got into the school hallway. I guess the security wasn't that good at that time. And the principal found out and he started he ran after the parent and literally almost had to physically say because the parent was headed toward the schoolroom where this teacher was and heaven knows what they were going to do. And this principal had to restrain her and say, no, you can't do that. Calm down. Be patient. And we'll work this out. Because someone was so angry and so um, focused on their own importance and the importance of their children that they had no patience or endurance or forbearance for this teacher or to hear the other side of the story. It was an ugly situation. Thankfully, and did back down. But when we don't have patience, all kinds of ugly things can come up with other people. Folks, we need to be much more patient with people than we think we are. Maybe we may not get angry and, and have, hopefully, not a public display of anger towards someone else. But we have all kinds of ways that we can show our displeasure and disapproval of others rather than patience for others. And Paul reminds us here that that is not appropriate. It's not appropriate clothing for God's people. But putting up with, enduring, forbearing, being patient with situations and with difficult people is it's part of the clothing that we wear as God's people. And we should be doing that regularly. Well, when you put all these together then, we have verse 13. The list of virtues that we just went through in verse 12, when they're established in our inner man, then these are the actions in verse 13 that will bear them out. If we are growing in that list of areas that we just went through, then the actions that we'll see in our lives will be in, are listed in verse 13. And this, you can see, goes right in hand, hand in hand with patience, verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you must also forgive. That bearing out there, that bearing with one another, can refer to tolerating or enduring. And so we might be able to think, well, I can get by it somehow just, Lord, somehow just tolerating that person at church for that few minutes that I see them somehow get me through and enduring. That doesn't seem to quite fit, though, the whole scope of the context here, does it? Lord, I, I, I suffered through talking with that person. Kudos to me. No, in context, we have to take that with the second part of forgiveness as well. And thus, those two together had the idea of long-term relational patience. A complaint that is a grievance. Really, that's not a serious um, sinful offense committed as much as it is just an annoyance or a maybe a deep grievance or some way that someone has annoyed or bothered you, a complaint that we have against one another, how are we going to handle that? It's a good test of whether we are acting like God's children of the chosen ones or not when we have this opportunity to bear with others. Are we going to get frustrated and angry or are we going to forgive each other? It, it, it's an important test. Have we been um, a little short of leash with other people recently in our lives and things that we've been frustrated about? Or have we been long-suffering and willing to forgive? Sooner or later, right? We're going to have a grievance against someone. You can mark it up, maybe even in this church. In a church body, we're going to encounter someone who is very different, who acts differently than what we are and what we do. How are we going to respond? We give our annoyances and grievances over to God and bear with sometimes stark differences. We meet some interesting people out there. There's some interesting Christians out there, folks. They may think that we're interesting too. But there are some that we just meet and afterwards we think, well, I'm glad that person's a believer, but they're just unique. They're strange. And yet God can give us the ability to bear and forgive and um, fellowship with others in the body regardless of how different they are. Then he reminds us, Paul reminds us, if we're still struggling with that or questioning that, he puts that all-important statement at the end, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive others. And I think we know exactly what he's talking about. We saw that this morning. The lamb that was slain. The Lord gave his life to offer us forgiveness. So can we really not forgive or put up with offenses or grievances of others and not have the same forgiving spirit when Jesus gave up all for us? Are we really going to argue that? I hope not. We can be forgiving no matter what the situation because Jesus forgave us all. Well, we have this verse 14 here, this quickly, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And God's love then is the great shared bond with his children. 
that energizes us and really makes possible all of these virtues. Folks, if we have the love of God streaming through us, energizing us, then all of these virtues that we've just talked about, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with all another, all of that is possible because the central ingredient, it's the main ingredient that must abound in a believer's life and in the body of the church. When God's love really gets a hold of us and we understand how much He loves us and how much Christ sacrificed for us, then it flows through us and gives us a desire to want to be this way and to see these things grow in our life to be useful servants for Christ. And He says there, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, uh, that could refer to these virtues, but I think in context here even more so, it refers to the people of the church. That the perfect harmony, really that Greek word there has the idea of completeness. And this love of God is the completer of church unity that binds us together. It's the melody of the service song of the church. And it needs to be a part of our lives. It needs to th flow through us. If you're looking at these different areas and saying, man, Lord, I see. I need more work in some of these, but I just, I can't. I just seem like I always struggle. Folks, look back to see how much of God's love um, that, that you are recognizing and that you are showing to others. God's love is there for us. He sacrificed all His Son. And if the more we comprehend and understand His love for us, the more we'll desire to show His love to others. And all of these virtues will grow. And many other things, too, that we'll see next week. We can have the perfect, the complete harmony of a church that serves together when we recognize the love of Christ, the wonderful bond that goes through, that works through us all. God's love should be recognized by His people and should be working in each of us. Our hearts should not be stone cold. We're God's chosen ones. The love of Christ has been shown to us. And we need to reflect that love. And then you may find yourself with a heart warm to that person that you before maybe hated that you were grieved with, that you were antagonist, that you thought was antagonistic toward you. You might find that you're willing to overlook and forgive some of those things that really bothered you with people in the church. They weren't grievous offenses, but they just irritated you. And the more you remember what Jesus has done for us in the love of God, you might be willing in these to forgive and to let go and to serve together in unity and bear with one another. That is the clothing of God's chosen ones. That's what we need to be wearing. Father, thank you for this reminder. Simple. This is nothing, this is nothing new. And yet we need reminders of this. To think of all that Jesus Christ sacrificed for us, we can certainly forgive the annoyances and the grievances of others. Help us to have an even greater understanding of the love that Jesus has for us. And meditate on that. 
and that you would wash away all the pride and the arrogance and the self-importance that we always we tend to put on ourselves and that we would humble ourselves before you and see a world out there that needs love and compassion we would be compassionate for those that are on the roadside beaten up by life and that we'd be willing to get our hands dirty even to be able to help. Lord, prepare us for that and help us to be aware of those this week. And let us marvel and rejoice in the power and the work that you can do through uh, people seeing your love and your kindness and your mercy through us. Let us experience that this week, Lord, as we humble ourselves before you. In all this, we need Jesus' help, and so we ask for it in his name that we pray. Amen.